But I just want to bring a word this morning, and I want to go back to where we talked about the King's resources. I know last week Matt brought a great word, and if you weren't here, I am a little bit behind on my podcast, but I will put it up there. Spoke a beautiful word about our contribution as a church to be able to help our young people fulfill their destiny and how young people need the church and the church needs young people. It was a great word. But this morning, I want to go back to what we were speaking about before, and we're talking about the king's resources. I've called it kingdom resources, or you could just say the king's resources, because we are blessed with resources from the king to live this life and and live well and live abundantly and live uh, with overcoming the difficulties and challenges of this world. Last or A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on one of the uh, resources that I think is so, so important. And I used an example of my motor vehicle and the need for oil. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, I have learnt the importance of oil and a vehicle over my time. And let me tell you, it's very important, okay? If, you, if you're not aware of the importance, come and speak to me after service, and I'll talk to you about the consequences of not putting oil in your car, <laughs> or too much oil, and that will preach as well. But I didn't go there yet. But what I will say, right, is just like the need that a car has for oil, a Christian has for grace. Isn't that the truth? We need His grace to live out this journey. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly reminded of my shortcomings and the need for God's grace to be able to live the way He wants us to live. The Bible says, Come boldly into the throne room of grace where you may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. And let me tell you, that is the oil that we need in our life, the grace that comes and lubricates all the different working parts so that don't overheat. Amen. But this morning, I want to talk to you about another resource. And this is a resource that can sometimes bring a little bit of controversy as far as when you preach as a preacher. (laughs) But just stay with me. So I'll use my phone as an example for a second. I want to talk about another kingdom resource. I want to talk about money for a second. I'm using my phone because who knows that most of us use our phone and our maybe our cards to do transactions. Who's still on cash? Anyone? Yeah, I like you people. At least you know exactly where your money is going, exactly how much you've spent. There's no mystery. There's no drawing too much funds. It is what it is. It is what you have. Right, But I want to speak about money. But let me just start by saying this is not a prosperity gospel message. Let me just say that to begin with. It is not. Also, my motive of talking on money is not a plea for you to give more. Absolutely not. If I can just say I am absolutely amazed by the church's faithfulness, the financial faithfulness of this church, to support everything that we do. The fact that we can meet in this beautiful facility is the generous hearts and giving of this church. The fact that we support the nations, the Kosoro project, the different projects that we do, it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for your buy-in and for your heart to give. So this is not a message to plea 
for you to give more. Let me, let me say that again. And if you are new, and I won't embarrass you by asking you to put your hand up. If you are new, we don't speak about money all the time. For the record, okay? I've been in Canberra for probably about two years, a little bit over, if you include the time where we were driving from Sydney to Canberra. And I don't think I've ever brought a word solely on the topic of money. It's not something that we talk about a whole lot. In saying that, though, in saying that, as Christians, it is important to get a godly perspective on money. Because money concerns all of us, young and old, male and female, doesn't matter which part of the world you come from, money has an interest to all of us, right? It's important. What I want to say, actually, in my household at the moment, this topic of money has been quite a topic because we are in the process, we have been in the process of trying to crack into that market and the, the, the conversation of how much money do we have to you know, put down for the deposit and how much are they asking for and is it enough, is it not enough? The talk of money in my household at the moment is quite a topic. It's probably one of the main topics. I will also say, and I don't know if you can relate with me, this is just me being transparent, that if I were to top the three most contentious topics of my marriage in time past, it probably has been money, one of, the, one of the top three, about how we spend it and how we don't spend it. Amen, Joe? <laughs> it's a, it's, it, is a, it is one of those topics that can cause division, and, and it's in, it is important. I remember, you know, for myself, a story that I'll never forget. I remember receiving a bill, or maybe not even receiving a bill. I remember looking at my bank account and seeing that the electrical company, and this is not the one in Canberra because we know Anton is in charge of the one in Canberra, and you would never have a problem at all. For the rest of your life in Canberra, it's wonderful, right? But in Sydney, there was a time that I remember some money coming out of my account that was quite significant, and the memory that I have, and I'm not, I'm not happy or, or, or proud of my response, was quite negative. I called the AGO uh, and I let them know, oh, no, 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 I don't owe this money. And only after did I realize, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, if you've been wrongly charged. Of course, you've got to, you know, speak up and you've got to make the phone call. But the response that it caused from me was quite insightful to what sometimes can happen in any of our lives where the, the, the thought of money, the, 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 the difficulty of paying for things can just kind of take its hold on us, right? So I want to talk about money. Like I said, I've laid the foundation of what you know, what I want to speak about. I want to look at how Jesus viewed the power behind money, wealth, and possessions, and the profound implications it has on us as faithful followers of Him. It does, let me tell you. Let me give you some interesting statistics, and you might have heard some of these, maybe not. 
But there are more than 2,300 Bible verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Did you know that? Actually, before I preach this, I will say I give credit to Pastor Rob, who is coming in a couple of weeks with Pastor Sonia, and he has been a real mentor of mine as far as handling money, as far as budgets and all that. He preached this amazing message, and I have to tell you, the whole message will convict you, or it definitely convicted me about my you know, understanding of finance. And so I just want to make sure I make that known. But there are 2,300 Bible verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke about money roughly 15% of his preaching. Crazy, right? 11 out of 40 parables had something to do with money and possessions and the way in which we handle them. It was his most talked about topic. It's crazy. One out of seven verses in the parables mentions money. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses, 288 in all deal directly with the subject of money. Did you know that? It came as a surprise to me, to be honest. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. I do acknowledge that often in some circumstances that Jesus uses money as a metaphor to teach some bigger theological teachings and doctrines. That is the case, absolutely. But it is really staggering how much attention Jesus gave to this idea of what we do, and not just what we do with, but how our heart's attitude towards money, wealth, and possessions. And as did the apostles, or the apostle Paul, as did the other writers of the New Testament. And actually, if you look throughout the Bible, there is a mention of this topic. It's clear to me that we need to take this subject very seriously. So, in saying that, what was Jesus talking about when he spent the time he did challenging people about their attitudes, our attitudes, their mindsets, our mindsets, right? The Bible is a mirror. It's for us. And their heart, our heart, what was he talking about? When it related to the issues of money, wealth, and possessions. Well, let's, how about we look to Scripture just to get a little bit of a snapshot of some of what Jesus said. Matthew 6.19 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Matthew 6.24 no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Luke 12.33 Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. Isn't that the truth? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me tell you, Joe and I are realizing that. We've enrolled our kids into school. <laughs> and obviously our treasure is our children. And, you know, but where our, tre- where our money is, that's where our heart is. We, for our children, we, we'll do anything for our children. And he said to them, take heed in Luke 12, 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness. <laughs> I find it hard to say that word. Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And I'll give you one more. And then I want to draw out what we can learn from the teachings of Jesus. And of course, this is only just a snapshot. Luke 21, 1 says this, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. I love this one, by the way. And he saw also a poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings. But God, sorry, for God, but she out of her poverty, sorry, for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. I love how Jesus, you know, reminds us of the heart, again, of giving, right? It was never about, and it is never about the monetary figure. It's not about what people think and see. It's between you and it's between God. I just love that verse. A couple more. Jesus, 19.21. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect... Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And last one, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. As I said, this is just a tiny snapshot, right? A sample, if you will, of all the ways that Jesus approached the issue with different audiences, in different settings, and for different purposes. But clearly, we see some themes, don't we? We see some themes. As we hear his words, and when we read Jesus' words on money, And when we look at the New Testament teachings on money and possessions, actually, like I said, the whole Bible, there are some themes that come out, some real kingdom themes. And I want us this morning to capture them. I want myself this morning to capture the kingdom themes that come through. Some real themes from no other but our King, Jesus, who lived on this earth, who came, who experienced what we do, experienced from day to day, and taught us. Don't you love that our King didn't, from a distance, give us a whole bunch of advice, oh, this and this. No, He came to be amongst us, and He taught us some real things from our King. And so let's look at some of them. Firstly, Can I just say, there really is 
a spiritual power behind money because of what it promises. The world tells us that our money and possessions can give us things. It can give you things. They can allow us to have things. There's the spiritual, there's a spiritual dimension. There really is to this that we really need to recognize. Because just like we've talked about, you know, burdens, carrying burdens that are unnecessary. Did you know that when you don't recognize or when you don't get God's perspective on finance, then it can also become one of those burdens that is unnecessary for you to carry. When you realize that, you can come to that place of surrender and say, God, okay, I've got to get a few things right. There's a spiritual dimension. What are some of these things? Well, the first couple are, and we're probably familiar with these, Power and control. Power and control. When you have significant financial wealth, you have a lot of power and control over your life, don't you? Power and control. They are real huge allurements in this world. Draw us into this thinking. You've got the power. You've got control. Because you know what? We like to control things. We don't like the thought of feeling out of control. We like to have power rather than people exercising their power over us, don't we? Have you ever had a situation like that? I remember, you know, working at Woolworths and sometimes battling with this, and I'm not putting any blue-collar work, workers down in any way, but I remember feeling, because I had the wrong way of thinking, this inferiority complex when I would walk into the office with all the white collars, feeling like, man, I wish I had the power to not be overlooked and overpowered by my work bosses. And of course, they weren't as nice as me as far as the boss is concerned. Can anybody say Amen. <laughs> right? This spiritual dimension of money really promises that to us, doesn't it? And the other thing it does is it offers security. You're going to be secure. If you've got enough money, wealth, and possessions, you can be secure. Promises us this, doesn't it? Luke 12, contrary to this way of thinking, Luke 12, 16 says this, then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he, and this is for us, 
who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Remember, I'm talking about a godly perspective on riches, finance, possessions. What? How does our king see it? Right? Because we ought to align our mindsets in the way God sees it. Even though he seemed to have everything, have it all, he really had nothing. Nothing. Money promises power. Money promises control. Promises security. And also money promises, you know what it promises? Happiness and contentment. You're going to be happy. I think we've learned, probably the, the majority of us have learned that the nice, new, shiny possession eventually gets old, eventually loses its appeal. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like it, but it's, it, you know, from when you just got it, right? Happiness, contentment, it, it, it's not found in what I have, what I own, what I need. And it's certainly prevalent today, isn't it? This, it can buy happiness and contentment. If you have enough money, you can go on a holiday. Let me tell you, my friends. You can do the things you want. You can. You can live where you want to live. Go and live in Ford. <laughs> I love Ford. It's a great spot. You can call your shots, your own shots, in this world, it's on you. you got control, power, power, control, security, contentment, happiness. This is the sort of the pro promises that money, right, the worldly promises that money can have for us. There are temptations that are underneath the wrong use of money. And they are a lot of what Jesus talked about, didn't he? He identified the grip that money can have on us. Can I just say it's worth examining our own heart for a moment as we go through all of these confronting yet true potential stumbling blocks, I know definitely for me, that cause many to fall. They become so important to us and it's worth examining our hearts and saying, Holy Spirit, have I become that person who sees the finance as being my contentment, security, happiness, power, control? Let me talk about a second point that's very important. Second, a second point. The other thing is, Money is dangerous when it asks for our allegiance. When it asks you for your allegiance. There really is, if you didn't know this, and I want to share this with you, and I want to share this with myself, there really is an idolatry behind money. There really is. That calls to us if we are not to be careful. Come and Give your allegiance to me with how we are to take care of it and how we are to use it. A real drawing of allegiance. There is a lure. There is a lure 
to money. I don't know if you've experienced it. I certainly have. Just ask Joel, right? She's got all the bad information on me. Jesus saw it. He did. And he knew it. He knew our tendencies. He knew what the lure is. And the apostles saw it. And the apostle Paul saw it. And he knew it. And they both said to be careful and watch for this dimension of money. Be careful. Because it has an ability to call for your allegiance. Because he can ask for our allegiance. Every time. This comes into our lives in the following ways. Let me share how. And maybe this will help you identify if that lure has taken a hold of you. Sometimes we become fixated at looking at money. <laughs> we become fixated at looking at our budgets. And you know what? I'll tell you something. But God, I've got an excuse for it. I have an excuse for it because I've got dependence. <laughs> and believe you in me, the bank won't even listen to me when I say how many kids I have. Chayton, I need your help. <laughs> they won't listen to me. So God, I've got excuses of looking at this budget in like a fine with a, foot, with a fine tooth comb, with a magnifying glass, I'm fixated on my budget, on the interest rates. Am I speaking to anyone here? The stock markets. All the things that go on there. And there are many things, up and down, round and round. I'll take you on a roller coaster ride. Emotions are up, emotions are down, emotions are in between. Take you on a roller coaster out and worry about what's happening. Plagued with worry. We can be consumed, can't we? We can become consumed with the financial parts of our lives beyond what it just means to be a good, faithful steward of what God's given and entrusted to us. Because I don't want to... By saying what I'm saying about the lure, I don't want to take away from the good stewardship of handling our finance, of God's finance, that he has entrusted to us. I don't want to take away from that. The other way that money can get our allegiance is it can become the driver of our whole career. You probably know people like that. I definitely know people like that. It can drive the whole career. It can be the driving force Suddenly we put so much time and effort into our jobs and businesses. Fixation, allegiance, career-driven for finance. But the question is, and this is a very important question, and this is between you and the Holy Spirit. And as I said, I have the, I, Joe and I boast in a godly way of the most generous, wonderful church. Right? I really mean that. But I don't know you specifically, what goes on in here, what you face from day to day, I don't know. So it's worth allowing the Holy Spirit to help us examine our hearts. When it comes to money, wealth and possessions, 
getting our allegiance, it can be the source. Now hear this. Money can be the source of both our peace and our fear. Alarm bells. Our peace and our fear. When we've got enough, of, we've got enough money, right? Our heart is at peace. I'm ashamed to admit this, but when I do the budget for the family, right, Joe says that that's my downtime. She goes, oh, Dave, you feel so much better, don't you? I go, mm, yes, I do. I know where things belong, things are put back. Like I said, I don't want to underestimate you know, good stewardship, but, but there is a lure. There is a pool of it becoming the God, becoming the thing that I mostly focus on. I've got enough money put away. I'm secure. It's all good. I'm in good shape. Absolutely. My heart is at peace because of my money. Or if I don't, (laughs) interest rates are going up. The market's going down. I lose my job. Of course, serious things. All these things happen, don't they? They happen. I could not believe when I went to IGA yesterday, buying a two-liter milk bottle was for $5.20 or something like that. And of course, IGA is not the best place to shop. And if you work at IGA, I apologize for that. Shop at Audi, right? (laughs) Take it from me. But for convenience sometimes, you know, all these things happen. It can become a source of my fear. Suddenly that sigh of relief after I've taken care of matters, false sense of security, right? Suddenly it's flipped on its head and it becomes a source of fear. When money becomes the primary source of either our peace in life or our fear, it's gotten our allegiance. It's taken a grip. It's taken a hold. It's gotten our loyalty. Suddenly, we've taken Jesus off the throne. We've taken him off the throne. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a quite a crazy thought, and yet when I'm completely dominated by money, peace, fear, the whole thing, Suddenly, I'm not looking to the king. Not that you mean to take Jesus off the throne, but our very being, the way in which we are conducting ourselves, navigating this difficult path, becomes one of, God, I'm taking you off the throne. I've got to take care of business. Is our trust and our faithfulness totally in him? Is it in him? As I said before, it's been a journey with this whole trying to get into that market. (laughs) And we've had to constantly, right, Joe? Ask ourselves, is our trust in God? Does he really own everything? Because if he does, why are we trying to take it out of his hand? Why are we trying to figure this thing out, getting our own 
limited small minds around the difficulty and challenges? Or has our allegiance gone to our money, wealth, and our possessions, the things that we own? It's a question worth considering, isn't it? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. This is between you and God. As I said, blessed, generous church. But still, God wants to arrest our hearts on an individual basis, doesn't he? This walk is not a collective walk, right? I mean, of course, the body of Christ is beneficial and wonderful. The nourishment that comes from that. But your walk is one that God sees right through to the innermost parts of your being, of your heart. So allow him, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say this morning? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me this morning? That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what Paul talks about when he says, be careful about how we relate to money and possessions. And thirdly, and last, lastly, thirdly, lastly, another thing that we see in Jesus' teachings is the enemy uses money to lure us towards an ownership heart. Mine. All mine. Right? It's mine. The Bible says that God owns everything. Did you know that? God owns everything. Everything is His. It's all His. It's God's money. It's all His. And when you realize that, it actually helps you think, oh my goodness, am I living, living limited? If it's His, if it belongs to Him, I can step into a different dimension of trust and peace that God will provide because it belongs to Him. Amen? It's all God's, but it can easily become ours in our heart. And God looks at where? He doesn't look at the facade. He looks at the heart. The enemy can begin to pull us into this ownership heart. Come on. Come into this little realm of living. When suddenly we act around our money and things we own and our possessions as if it's really ours. It belongs to me. And it's so easy from experience to slip into this. And we often justify our ownership attitude by saying things like, I've worked hard for it. <laughs> I've worked hard for it. I invest it. I take care of it. It's really mine to do with what I want to do. It's mine. <laughs> There's an ownership tendency, and it's the enemy's way of leading us down this different path and very difficult path. And this takes us back to the first point. As I said, I'm coming to a finish. That there's a spiritual power with and behind money. There really is. And I hope that you know, you're able to recognize if this is something that relates to you. The enemy uses it to pull us in places that we believe you and me don't want to go. You don't want to go. I remember, I'll never forget one of the causes of anxiety years ago when I was a 
a 30-year-old guy, one of the causes, or 29, just about 30, was my propensity to want control over finance. And of course, I wasn't a good steward at that time. I would admit that. But the cause of, of anxiety was often because of the state in which my money was um, handled. And it caused me a lot of fear for the future. It took a lot of the source of, the primary source of, you know, my peace became finance. And I'll just got to admit myself that this has definitely been something in my life that uh, I have to constantly watch that it doesn't creep through. You know, this morning, it's funny, I'll share this. This morning, as I was preparing for the sermon, uh, <laughs> I'm well acquainted with what's happening in the, in the finance of my family. I noticed, oh, well, there's a notification that came through for Woolworths that our shopping had been bought. And I thought to myself, hang on a second. Uh, I don't think that account had that much money in it. And then I looked at the other account, and then I saw that money had been moved from one account to the other. And, of course, the tendency to yet again be like, what's happened? Just being honest. This is, this is for me, for me, Maybe not for you, maybe for you, maybe not. But it's definitely something that I have to constantly come to a surrender to God and say, Lord, Lord, provide for us. God, we don't see how, but make it possible. If you truly own everything, which we believe you do, please come through. Please come through. God, we are your children. We are your anointed ones, called, set apart. But Lord, we, there's needs, God. Please come through. Constantly coming to that place of, Dave, stop trying to take control. Stop trying to believe that it's a, it, it, there's a peace in it. There's none. There's a peace in God and God only. And do you know what? He will constantly draw you to his presence. If you become thick-headed like I have been, Believe you and me, it will come crashing. You will come crashing. And you will become, again, in need of a saviour. Because only a saviour can lead us into the place of repentance and security and wholeness and contentment. So I'm just going to finish and just wrap up the points very quickly. I won't even go on and on. There's a spiritual power behind money because of what it promises, as I shared earlier, power, control, security, happiness, contentment. It's dangerous, isn't it? Because when it gains our allegiance and becomes the focus of our time, the driver of our career, or it becomes the source of our peace or fear, we know alarm bells are going off. And finally, the enemy uses money to lure us into an ownership heart making us believe somehow that it's ours, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And we justify our ownership attitude very easily. I hope, church, that this, you know, in the time that we're living in, it's definitely a subject that Joe and I talk about a lot. And I am not, my head is not in the sand to understand that there are things in this world that are pressing on us as believers. Can I have the worship team come and join me? 
we, there is definitely a time in which, right, things have, are going through the roof, prices are going through the roof, and human nature can be very much like that, can't it? Just to want to comprehend, want to control. But I hope that this can encourage you, that any of that that you've built up, any of that falsehood, false idols that you've built up in your life to believe somehow you've got it figured out. Let that come crashing. You, you break the idols. Don't wait for God to break them. It's a lot less prettier when God intervenes for the good of your soul, for the good of your heart and your walk, for Him to come in and realign some ways of thinking. You take the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Ghost, if there are things, why don't we close our eyes right now?